and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com. You can get the podcast, as always, on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, all the other usual places that you get podcasts. Uh, we're bringing Danny Meringue back on. We kind of did this one. It was it, it's, kind, it's kind of loose. We go all over the place. I didn't really have any particular agenda for what I wanted to do. I, you know, the Blazers are still in kind of this in-between period right now of just a lot of waiting where there's not really anything to talk about as far as what they could do this offseason until we see where the lottery lands in may on the 16th which by the way i'm gonna be in chicago that whole week so make sure you become a paid subscriber to the newsletter because i'm gonna be doing a lot of stuff from chicago there but anyway danny and i talk about you know we, we, we go kind of all over the map we get into some victor Wembanyama stuff just in case that were to hit we talk about kind of where we think the Blazers' heads are at as far as something, you know, ideas of, of, you know, what they might do this summer if certain things land in certain places as far as the lottery or any of that stuff. We talk about kind of the Dame conversation that's been out there the last couple of uh, days just based on things that are out there. We we kind of get we kind of get into where we we land on that. We get into some playoff stuff too. It's it's a it's a good time. You you, you guys all know. You know, if you're listening to me, you probably also listen to Danny. So go check out all of his various programs. And I think you guys are going to like this one. So uh, let's get into it. So, Danny, how's your offseason going? Hey, so uh, how, uh, let's see, we're uh, we about a month into this now? It's been, yeah. been, been, been a while. Um, it's going. It's, uh, you and I have talked a bunch. It's, it's hurry up and wait, man. Yeah. That's that's where we're at right now. It's, it's as much as we can talk about one team falling off here and could Portland potentially prize something out there. It's like uh, May sixteenth. We're all just we're counting just down waiting. the days, man. That's all. <laughs> I have a I have a mailbag running in a couple days on the site, mm-hmm. and all of the questions that I got were about like trade targets and you know who could they get this guy or you know what are some you know things they could do this summer and. I kind of feel like a broken record with it just because my answer to every single one of these questions is we have to wait and see where the lottery lands and where, you know, where their pick lands. And that's going to dictate everything else that's possible because if they get one, you know, I've been saying this, you've been saying this. If they win the lottery and get the number one pick, they are taking Victor Wembanyama. They're not trading the pick. No. If they don't get number one, they're probably going to trade the pick. And I think Joe and... Dame and Chauncey and everybody that talked at exit interviews pretty much yeah, telegraphed so, that. Yeah, nice, nice little Illuminati triangle there. Yeah, of, uh, all, but, all linked it, together. But if that pick and but even you know if they're going to trade the pick, it's going to depend also on where it lands. Because if it's mm-hmm. two or three, there's two other guys in the draft besides Wemby, which are Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller, mm-hmm. that in most years would one of them would go number one. 
unabashedly and, scoot on uh, like across really because i was that, so was that was that just the uh the the Brandon Miller stuff was that just like during the you know during the tournament was 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 it one of those like people need stuff to talk about to you know I think so like and again I think Miller if you squint is number one in some drafts uh huh six foot nine with a ratchet kind of hard to be like yeah I mean we're talking about this, Jabari Smith Jr. was in the same conversation last year and I yeah. think Brandon Miller's a, a better shooter okay I mean so like but Scoot is unabashedly Every other draft that doesn't have a LeBron, uh, a Victor, like a like a generational a Zion, a generational even Zion guy. was even Zion. There was some actual like, oh, you know, maybe Jaw is the guy. Maybe people are worried about Zion. Like, I, I there wasn't that much of that, but there was. I think the last two that were just like unequivocally, this is the number one guy. One of them mm-hmm. was the LeBron one in '03, and the other, the last one before that, I think was Tim Duncan in '97. Those were the two where. It's like can't is, miss, unbelievable. Yes, because even even in 07, there was a it was an Odin Durant debate. Now most of the most of the people would have taken Odin, but it was still every a GM survey, every GM surveyed before the draft took that Odin. Well, right, but it was still a debate. It was still sure. a thing people are talking about. Like, there's not even anybody who's trying to do the nobody's saying bit, being like, yeah. oh, you know, I actually don't know if Victor is the is the guy. But anyway, yeah. they get the number one pick. That's what they're gonna do. Hundred yeah, percent. They. they they will not trade it. Like no, I, I've talked to about a dozen front office execs now. There is not a exec in the league that would trade that pick. No, I for also any, for, for anyone, not even Giannis under contract. Period. Point blank. Giannis is the one that I would like halfway have the conversation about, and even then, I'd say no. You might take the phone call. That's literally yeah. the only player in the league you're taking the phone call for. Right. Which is. That's that's not hyperbole. That is straight from no, people yeah. running teams. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, no, uh, I and uh, there is also so I there's also this thought. I mean, we, you know, we all saw what Dame said at exit interviews mm-hmm. about like I don't want to have you know more nineteen year olds. I love Shaden. Like he had this endorsement of Shaden Sharp, but like he doesn't want them to like draft another nineteen year old. I think he was talking about like he doesn't want to wait for Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller. Yes, I think I think if they if they get Wembenyama, I think that's a different thing. That's a different conversation. I think yeah, Dame. I, mean, I think Dame's down for that. I've talked to Dame about Wemby, and in the sense of like, have you ever seen a dude like this? And the answer is no. He's like, <laughs> I mean, you know, he says something along the lines of. Uh, it was after it was after the highlight after he put yeah. back his own miss three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have yeah. you ever seen anybody do that? He goes, that dude does stuff nobody's ever done. And so it, I think he'd be. I think he'd be yeah. even even like regardless of like how far away it's going to be before Wemby is like an NBA ready to be like a, the best player on a title team. I think just like he's Tim Duncan. He's going to be impactful as a rookie. Well, right. Also, but I also just you know I know Dame pretty well. So do you. Uh, we've both been around him for a long time. We both talked to him you know over the years about this kind of stuff mm. i think he's enough of a fan of the nba that i think he would like yeah. to have a front row seat for the guy that, that people show. think is the next lebron yeah and, that, and that's the thing is like he's he's truly different now whether or not he's healthy or whether or not one thing translates he's seven foot four with a jumper who can put the ball on the floor he's probably going to be one of the greatest shot blockers the league has ever seen is there. I can't use enough hyperbole to talk about the guy because 
I hear front office people talk about him like not on par with LeBron, above LeBron, when we're talking about expectations and things like that. And that is so, unless you lived through the LeBron stuff, it is, if you were under the age of like 30, there is just no way you can grasp how insane the expectations were of LeBron James. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16 with the headline, The Chosen One, and then he lived up to it. Like, the most successful hype matching in history, and people are projecting more for Victor. And that's, honest, that's the insanity of this. Honestly, like, the 2023 equivalent, because remember when they put, uh, like, in 2002 or 2003, when, you know, all the LeBron hype was starting... Mm-hmm. ESPN was showing his high school games. And at the time, that was like something nobody was doing. Nobody was showing St. Mary's games. I feel like like the 2023 equivalent of that is the NBA showing Victor Wembanyama's French League games on the app. app. Even (laughs) even as they're like punishing teams for tanking. It's like, yeah, we don't want you guys to tank, but here you guys can go watch the games of this guy that everybody's going to... I'm just going to read you this thing. This is... uh, Somebody sent me this a while ago, and I just pulled it up. But uh, our friend, uh, you know, both of our, you know, friend, acquaintance, uh, colleague, Kristen Peake, who mm-hmm. covers the draft for Yahoo and is mm-hmm. is basically, like, the closest thing to Mike Schmitz now that Mike isn't, like, in the media yeah. space anymore as far as, like, people who are just always at these events. We just saw her, like, a couple weeks at ago Hoop at the Summit. Hoop Summit. <laughs> She's at all this stuff. She's one of the people that's, like, out there grinding at every single one of these events, knows all the prospects since they were, like, 12. She walks stuff. into a room, and every single person in the room knows her. Yeah. So this is a scouting report that she wrote about Victor Wembanyama last summer. And this is before really, this is even like the, before the Wemby Vegas. Wemby mania really well, went nuts. Well, because it really went nuts when like the, the, the you know, the two games in Vegas where Overtime everybody got to yeah. actually see it. This is from like July of, of last year. This is her uh, scouting report of Wemby from then. Quote, think Rudy Gobert mixed with Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis. That's what Wembanyama is projected to be. If you think that comp is too outrageous, then how about a larger Giannis Antetokounmpo without any weaknesses? <laughs> okay. Like, give you right. a seven foot four Giannis with a jumper. <laughs> okay, sure, yeah. Like, what Sounds I said, good to me. Like I said, like, like, there's, like, there's no limit to the hyper- hyperbole. And th- these are this is from people who are not prone to hyperbole. <laughs> like, you have decision makers who tamper down and downplay stuff all the time. Like, ah, you know, there's this, there's that, there's this. No, they are saying things that is the most outlandish things you have ever heard. Right after that Vegas game, this was like early in the season, you and I were in the locker room and I forget which players. It must have been, it was either Nas or Trendon. It was like, it was a hundred percent in the series. I already know where you're going with this. (laughs) And he was just, he was just like, we were like watching it on his, like he was like watching them on his phone and we were like talking about it. And he was just like looking at this, like, this is like a cheat code in 2K. Like, what are you even supposed to do? He's like, what am I supposed to do with this? He's like, I get switched on this guy. What, what am I? He's like putting his hand up. He's like, I, I, can I get there? He's like, if, if this dude comes in the league, like, what are you supposed to do with this? He's like, Rudy can't stay with him. You know, he, he starts like Giannis. Like, what, what's like, if those guys can't do anything with him, what is everybody else supposed to do? Like, other players are looking at him like, I, what, what are you supposed to do? Like, you just throw, like the to me like the most obscene thing. It's the the putback dunk off the miss three is otherworldly, but like the simplest thing for me is the picture of him and Rudy Gobert together. Rudy oh, yeah. Gobert is that. seven foot one. 
I was at summer league. I want to say it was like 2013, whatever, whatever Rudy's rookie year was. Yeah, 20, it was 13. 2013. And uh, you know the side Jim and Thomas and Mac, the auxiliary gym. The Cox. Yeah. The, Are, is it Cox or is it the one they do the practice? Because Cox is the no, secondary the pra- one. No, 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 the practice one. The, okay. The, the I forget I forget the name of it, but that, but yeah, I know the one you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. got like high school style rollout bleachers. Yeah, and Team I, US, I, I've covered a couple of Team USA training camps, I yeah. think, before and the they, Rio they Olympics. That's that where they do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I, you know, that the thing you do when, when you go lay on the bleachers and you kind of lay across like five, six steps and you kind of stretch out. And I was just sitting there chilling before a game and, and, I don't know what made Rudy do this, but he comes over and just kind of mimics me. And he, and he's, but he sprawls over like seven more rows of bleachers uh-huh. Uh-huh. and he spreads out and he looks at me and he just goes, <laughs> and just kind of giggled at me. And I'm just like, this dude is a freak. Like he, his wingspan is like just short of eight feet. I think, you know, I, I we hadn't seen him play. He's just so long. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, I have never seen anybody built like this. And then you see Victor next to Rudy and you just see just how much bigger Victor is than Rudy Gobert. And that to me is like the thing that just like, you look at Rudy Gobert and you're like, oh, he's stiff. He can't do this. You look at Victor, he moves like Kevin Durant. And you see the contrast between those two and you're like, no, but bigger. Way bigger. I, I, uh, I remember that. That's actually interesting. You bring that. First of all, first of all, has he has have we had the Victor Yao picture yet? Because no, that's, la- that's, that's the last. That's the last one. Thing. Yeah. That's the one we need. But my, I think my favorite genre of visual content on the internet is pictures mm-hmm. of Yao standing next to people who are anything and otherwise like. Like the like the one of him and Shaq where he just like dwarfs over Shaq. There's like one seven with him foot and, one three hundred and thirty. There's one with him and Bill Walton small. where Bill Walton looks like it's like where it looks like it's that picture of like Muggsy Bogues and George Marizan. Yeah. Like Yao next to anybody. I feel I I need to see. I, I I'll bet I'll bet Wemby would still look small because Yao is so much bigger. Yao's head is the size of an Easter Island statue. Yeah, but uh, it's funny you bring up the the agility and the you know being able to move thing because I remember one of the two profiles. There have been two big profiles of Wemby that have been mm-hmm. published. One of them was the Jeremy Wu one in SI, and then there was the the Windy Gavoni one in uh, ESPN. Yeah, well, they went out there for a couple of weeks. I forget which one it was that I read this in, but I remember one of them was talking about Wemby working out with Holger Dirksky, his shooting mm-hmm. coach. And one of the things Holger said, because originally their plan was to have him bulk up, and Holger was like, no, 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 don't put on a bunch of muscle, don't put on a bunch of weight, because then you're going to get into, you know, having all the injury stuff, all the lower body stuff that a lot of big men have. The Anthony Davis stuff. The Joel Embiid stuff his first two years when he missed two full seasons with a broken foot, like that, you know, the Greg Oden stuff. That's the other thing is, like, I get... Like, I, you know, there, there, there are people I've talked to, like Blazer fans that I've talked to about the idea of getting Wemby. And they... The, ab- the abject fear of Bowie There and is Odin. that. I will say that, like, <laughs> Odin coming into the draft had the medical red flags that existed. And one uh, one leg was an inch longer than the other. That, and they knew yeah, it. yeah. Like, they that, knew microfracture surgery was going to happen. Yeah. The Wemby stuff, I, like, I've just... All the stuff that we've read about just how much they're doing to take My care God. of his body and how much to, to make sure he doesn't get injured. Like There's no flags. It's and and there's really not any of that stuff that's really out there that people say, I don't know, be careful about this guy. Like, not even the is, biomechanics. That's the thing. It's like normally you worry when they're that big, 
you worry about their gate or you worry about um, with Bobol. Uh, remember, remember Bobol at Hoop Summit? Yeah. The murmurs, like he was running and his ankles are pronating like six inches. And it was like, like little scouts and decision makers and GMs and AGMs are like, oh my God. Like they were terrified of, of the injuries just piling up for him. Like because of just that, just seeing it in person, it was like, oh my God, look at how much, how much his ankles move with, Victor, there's none of that stuff. The biomechanic stuff, like he's stable. He spends like an hour a day, like just getting uh, rolled out. He spends like another hour doing yoga. He gets like a mandatory 10 hours of sleep a night. Like the stuff that he does to keep his body right, it's like LeBron spending the million dollars a year on his body. Victor's doing that already. That's the insanity of it. Like they're prepping him to be the guy. So there's another, so there's a ten and a half percent chance that you and I spend the next ten years talking about this guy. Let's, Learning so French. There's, oh yeah, you know I, I already got the Duolingo app on my phone. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start doing that. If, if well, was, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a eighty nine and a half percent chance then that this doesn't happen. Sure. And if that doesn't happen, if you get kind of where we were talking about before we got off on this whole Wemby tangent, but. Uh, it's fun to go on the Wemby change. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. We're still a couple of weeks away, dude. We're we're, it's fun, it's fun to we're all we're all looking for stuff to talk about. Like I I just I didn't even like have a rundown of stuff I wanted to talk with you about before. I like usually when I bring a guest on, I'm like you know, but yeah, I want to hit this, I want to hit this, I want to hit this. But I was just like, I'm just gonna bring Danny on. We're just gonna vibe, and that's what it ended up being. But uh, if they get two or three, then you can probably get somebody in the group of guys that they're looking at getting without attaching more draft capital. Yeah, I mean, because the calculus for whoever, let's say it's like, you know, you saw you saw Masai Ujiri's uh press conference after he fired Nick Nurse about how like things they, are changing. Yeah. If you're <laughs> Toronto, you can, you know, if you get if they offer you, you know, two or three and you can take Scoot or Brandon Miller and put him with Scotty Barnes, that's something that I think a lot of teams in that position would be interested in. If it gets below three, because like the tier, you, you're, you've done more of the draft stuff than yeah. I have, but it's Wemby is like his own tier beyond everything else. Yeah. And then those two are the next tier. It's just those so two. So it depends on who you talk to, uh, how things are, are skewed. Like it's Wemby, giant gap. Right. And, and, and this is not like throwing Scoot or Brandon Miller. Scoot would be the number one pick next year or last year across the board everybody i've talked to he would be a hundred percent he's that guy right they they, the the combination again talking about hyperbole multiple multiple execs have said some combination of derrick rose russell westbrook john moran like that's those are the guys that like absolutely obscene athleticism dogged determination work ethic Grown man body, all those things. Right. He is a dude. But the gap between Victor to him is huge because you're talking about the gap between a guy being profiled higher than LeBron to this level. But in the same breath, that number two overall pick is one of, if not the singular most valuable asset in the NBA right now outside of uh, Wemby and Giannis. Like that's that's how valuable that pick is looked at. 
Right, and even three is like not that far below that. And yet, look, with when you're talking about Scoot and 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 Miller, I think most GMs would say Scoot is in the lead. But if you wanted to put them on the same tier, you're not going to get a lot of pushback. But the franchise changer—that's to me the differentiation between Miller and Scoot. Even if you think uh, Miller has the higher ceiling because of his size, the leadership intangibles, floor leader franchise building block kind of guy more people that i've talked to believe in scoot but as far as your tiers it's victor those two guys and then you get into is it just one guy at four uh in thompson and then down to five at at, uh jerris walker or are they on their own tier together It, it gets a little more ubiquitous once you get past two and three uh-huh. I, there's a drop but i don't think it's a tremendous drop but it's it's enough to notice so if you don't land one but you get picked two or three you have an extremely extremely valuable asset to affect a ton of change and if you don't get two or three then you start having to talk about putting more future draft capital and yep. that gets into the chicago pick and you know what what you do with all of that mm-hmm. but it's have you have have you been so what what has been your reaction I don't want to get too deep into some of the things that have been out there the last week <laughs> since Dame went I'll, I'll to the playoff game. I'm just going to say it. Damian Lillard is not going anywhere until Damian Lillard says he's going somewhere. You, you and I have both talked to Dame over the years. I have grown to trust word for word, bar for bar, what he tells me, <laughs> both on and off record. And the guy is committed to Portland making changes. If we get to July 1st and the roster does not make a significant change, then you can throw out your, your trade Damian Lillard industrial complex trades until that day. It is, there is zero, zero reason to go remotely down that path. Have you enjoyed, uh, the idea that Portland doesn't have anything to trade for any of these guys, oh, but that God. the worst contract in the NBA and a bunch of mid, <laughs> you know, kicks that are five or six years out, that's enough for Dane. Yeah, no, the idea of like Scoot Henderson and Amphrey Simons, I, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can get Mikhail Bridges. Like, you didn't you didn't know who Mikhail Bridges was three months ago. Why why are you now telling me that the most valuable asset in the league, not named Wembenyama or Giannis Antetokounmpo in the number two overall pick in Anthony Simons, couldn't get Mikhail Bridges. But somehow, somehow Ben Simmons, Cam Thomas, and a bunch of picks that are nothing, nothing. I, I keep seeing people like, well, if the Blazers traded Damian Lillard, six first round, six crappy first round picks doesn't mean anything. You have to get a tangible asset. And I was like, well, the, controlling the Suns' future is great. Sure, if Robert Sarver was still in charge, the first thing we just saw Matt Ishbia do was lure Kevin Durant to Phoenix. Do you think that he's just going to like, oh, we suck, time to settle? No. No, they're not. They're, the flip side of this is everybody's like, oh, the Suns have sucked for a long time. It's like they sucked for five, six years. Beyond that, I believe they're a fifth or sixth winningest franchise in NBA history. 
It was about ten years between after the the national they had, run. They had the, they had the bump where they came back and they rebuilt too soon, all that kind of thing. My point is, they they haven't been. They aren't the Timberwolves now. If, right. we, if you had if you were Utah and you had those Timberwolves picks, different story. Timberwolves are quite literally the worst franchise in the existence of the NBA. They have like a, a, a franchise, like I want to say it's like a 34% winning percentage. There was, this, there was this tweet they had a couple of weeks ago that was like, congrats to Chris Finch on becoming the second winningest coach in franchise history. And it was like 98 wins. It was like, oh my, that, that's what I mean. Like there's, there's levels to controlling those, like controlling the Suns future, meh. Controlling the Timberwolves future, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep, sign me up for that. Danny Ainge again making deals with the devil. But the whole idea of like the best asset in that entire trade is the 2028 or 20, it should be 2029 Phoenix Suns pick. That kid is 12. Let's fast forward six years from now. Anthony Simons is going to be 29 years old. Shaden Sharp is going to be 25 or 26. You're not talking about like a young asset to build around. You're you're running into the literal same problem of two timelines all over again. So it's like there's nothing and you're asking the Trailblazers to take on the literal most toxic asset in the entire NBA in Ben Simmons's contract. It's that's it's absolutely insane what people are putting out there. And again, this is from the Nets. Like they're putting it out don't get it twisted. It's not just their writers. I know people have told me like, oh, I heard from this organization that they, they they feel like they have a strong chance of landing Damian Lillard. I'm like, that's weird. So do because... the Sixers for how many years are we talking about? <laughs> LeBron James and Anthony Davis had lunch and dinner with him. And LeBron's arguably the greatest of all time. He didn't go there. Why is he going to run to a Nets organization that's been a complete... And it was like, oh, the Blazers haven't made the playoffs. The Nets have been a dumpster fire. What, Here's what's the other part. And our our mutual friend and friend of the program, Eric Gunderson, made this point the other day. <laughs> you can't even do the big market thing for Dame with Brooklyn because they just had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and they were still second in the city to the Knicks. To a Knicks team that at that point in time was still struggling to find their identity. Yeah. And that's the thing is like... I, so my thing, my thing with the, you know, six future draft picks or, you know, whatever of these other hypothetical trades would be is you, if you have all those draft picks, you're not going to use all those draft picks. No. And then you run into, even if you do use a lot of those draft picks, and let's say you draft incredibly well, you then run into a situation where you're Memphis and you basically have to give away DeAnthony Melton because you don't have enough space for everybody. To, to pay everybody like or or to even just have roster spots for everybody yes. like the thunder are gonna run into this at some point with all well, their they're guys. gonna run into it literally next year yeah they're gonna, they're gonna run have into to like year. they're gonna have to like trade josh giddy or trade they're gonna have to trade somebody because they are just not gonna they're have looking around going uh like they're gonna have to give up poku and that they're gonna they're gonna riot in okc the other thing about it is that like i think something that i think gets you know thrown into kind of this you know group think of like how this stuff has to work or how these things these different things have to be built is this idea that all of a team's best players have to be the same age and i know there are limits to the two timelines thing and obviously like what the blazers tried to do this year didn't really work what the warriors are trying to do now didn't really work because kuminga and pool and, and but the Moody. suns are doing pretty effectively right now right like, but like 
if you're let's say they win like the, the you know the, the the one that I've seen a few different places is if they get the number one pick and they get Wemby Yama, then you trade Dame for more young stuff to rebuild around Wemby and Sharp. And it's like, wouldn't the best thing for Sharp and Wemby be to have Dame in the same way that having Lamarcus and having like Wesley Matthews and Batum and all them? That was good great for Dame. For Dame. Yeah. Like, like you can't just. I mean, you're seeing like kind of on the one extreme end of the spectrum. Like I like 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 what Oklahoma City is doing right now is like an exception because their their guys are all kind of in that younger age range and they have yeah, such they a strong they aren't culture. hopping in yet but that's like but that's like a that's like one exception of like the one time everything is working yeah. really well you also then run into situations similar to that where like you're memphis you have all this young talent you don't have any vets and then some of the stuff that's happened with memphis this year ends up happening then you you don't have an adult in the room and you <laughs> right. have jaw acting a fool you've got dylan brooks running his mouth and that's the thing it's like one of the, I think one of the most underrated things or, or underrated losses this season was Memphis losing Kyle Anderson. Mm-hmm. Like having and Steven Adams, you know this, Steven Adams is on the roster. He's an adult in the room. There's no doubt about but that. But he's hurt but when like half the But year, when not you're playing. not playing, you're not a part of the fold. It was like, well, Steven Adams is there. And I'm like, yeah. Dave Ray was there for like half the season. And, and this thing is like, when you're not playing, you're not a part of it. You're looked at differently. Fair or not, unless you're the guy, like if, if Dame was banged up down the stretch uh like last year they're still looking to dame dame is setting the culture standard because he's the guy but if dame had been the number four on the roster and he's down no it it does it doesn't doesn't carry the same weight so yeah at bare minimum i think dame is just looking at wemby and going i'll give it a try (laughs) i'll I'll give it a try you know I, i have a generational talent who covers up for literally all of the weaknesses that we have a more mobile, more athletic, longer, more versatile. Like, yeah, I, I think at that point in time, then in four years, you, when Dame ages out, Wemby is going to be 23 or 24. And on top of that, maybe you get a couple of ring chasers. Maybe you get a guy to, you know, take an MLE who otherwise wouldn't. He looks at it and goes, Dame, Ant, Shay, Jeremy, Wemby. Well, you, okay, so let's so like so you, you naming those five guys. Do you think that if they get Wemby, they wouldn't do anything with the rest of the roster? Because I feel like you still. I think they do make. Something, I think you use. But... I think you. I think you have to. No matter what, even if you get Wemby, I think you have to do. You have to make the Ant Shaden decision this summer. I think they probably have to. Or probably would like to but i think if they get wemby they maybe look at things a little bit differently in the sense of and again i i don't know if they would but in the back of my head i'm thinking do they instead go from having a thumb on the scale of like this has to happen now to maybe ant takes one more growth leap and you get more out of him at the deadline Maybe Shaden takes a massive leap and you go, oh, he's that dude. You know, I think that's, I think it maybe bumps that decision until the deadline. But I think that's as far as it goes. I want to, I want to go into something. You, so your most recent episode of uh, Jack Ramsey's, mm-hmm. you had uh, Joe Cronin on. Yep. Which was the first interview that he's done since the exit interview stuff yep. after the end of the season. 
a couple of things stood out to me, and one of them was him saying that Shaden can be a starting caliber two guard in the NBA. There's only one way that can happen. Look, man, I was intentional with my questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, you know, you know what you're, you know what you're doing, and Joe, and Joe, I don't know whether you can say to his credit, or I mean, to his credit, probably for for Rasan's job, but maybe uh-huh. to his detriment for us, for our purposes, he's getting he's getting better at hiding. He's getting answers. good at not answering. Like he's, I think in the past he's, you know, maybe been too honest about this mm-hmm. kind of stuff for their, uh, you know, liking. He's gotten good at not saying much, but there's still like there's, there's enough sprinklings. There's enough subtext there if you want to look at it. I think when he just like rattled off like the guys that they like and that they're building around him, not mentioning Nurkic was notable. And I think him saying that, uh, that, uh, you know, Shaden Sharp is a starting two guard in the Mm -hmm. NBA. I think that, I think the phrase two guard being in that answer was instructive. Telling. Yeah, no, I think it is too. And, you know, I've, we, we talked to Ant about, the whole idea of this at exit interviews. Yeah. And I've, I've talked to him in the sense of like, you know, the the business side of things. And he kind of reiterated the same thing. Like I'm aware that what the prevailing thought is like, as far as who's the guy who's going to be gone, it's not a secret. And that's the thing is like, I think if, and that's part of the reason why I think if they got Wemby, they'd want to try to get as much leverage as humanly possible. Because if they land Wemby early, you can maybe take that to the deadline. And and let's say at the deadline, you've got, you know, what, 30, let's say 33 wins already. And you're, you're rolling. You're a three seed in the West. You've got some questions you need to answer defensively, but you're going to make a big move. And maybe you visit that move this summer, but that team's like, ah, oh, we're not quite ready yet. Or kind of like the Jeremy at the deadline last year situation. Yeah. But I kind yeah. of feel like the that was at the deadline this year was that they that they kind of visited a lot of that stuff. Look, from people that I've talked to around the league, and I know people will get mad at me and say, "Oh, you're carrying the Trailblazers' water." I know of two different trades that the Trailblazers were wildly aggressive on. Very, very competitive offers. Uh, one that I was shocked it wasn't accepted. So I'm assuming we can't talk about them. No, we definitely can't talk about those because they didn't happen and they may revisit them this summer. So it's one of those things where it was. I, I know people are like, oh, I'm sure they really did that. You mean you and I have talked about this? I mean, it gets it gets it gets into Danny Ainge territory back when he was with the Celtics. Of every time a star gets traded, like it gets leaked out. Like sources sources say, Danny Uh Ainge was really close to get like. like, Which is why Joe doesn't do that. And that's the thing is, I I don't think Joe's a guy who does a lot of the horse trading stuff behind the scenes. This is something that we've talked about before. I've actually like we've I've had this conversation with Joe before Mm -hmm. that part of maybe his problem with a lot of this public perception stuff is that he doesn't play the game in that way. Like, I like, like just to use one example. And obviously there are a lot of GMs that do stuff like this, but pretty much all, but maybe three, how, how many years has Daryl Morey invited every single national NBA writer to the Sloan conference and like gone on Bill Simmons's podcast and, all this other, or kind of I don't stuff. know, hosted a ping pong tournament in Vegas, and it invites all the me, which I've been to before. Yeah, I've too. But yeah. but like because of that, and I think I th- I think something a lot of people who aren't like Endearing. in our end of the business don't really understand 
is just how much of this stuff is driven by which GMs or agents Who like. or whoever do or do not, like, feed stuff or talk to whoever as far as, like, people... Like, so there are certain GMs, like, you know, Daryl Morey's one, I think Sean Marks is one, with all this Brooklyn stuff, where you're always gonna hear, you know, on whatever platforms, like... You know, oh, you know, Daryl Morey, like, who knows me? Could he get Dame? Like, that's, what's his next move going to be if Harden leaves? Like, uh, you know, or, you know. this Ujiri wants three first-round picks and says he's going to get them for, for OG and Anobi. You don't hear anybody in any of these conversations never talk getting about anything nobody. Like, you're not you're not hearing on any of these on any of these podcasts or these talk shows or whatever. Hey, watch out for Portland. They could make a big move, and that's because Joe doesn't really do the like Joe. Like Joe is very easy to talk to, and like you can have a conversation with him, but he's not going to give you like. When he and I talk, I don't really push him for, like, intel or scoops or whatever because I know, A, I know he's not going to give it to me, and B, I just, like, we have more of that kind of relationship where, like, yeah. we can just talk about stuff and he doesn't feel like I'm trying to get something out of him. But Joe doesn't do that. Like, the, mo mo most GMs have somebody that they feed something to uh, yeah. as far as, like, one of the national, like, the newsbreakers or scoops. And Joe doesn't, as far as I know, Joe doesn't really, you know, Neil certainly did, but, like, Joe does not. Th there, have think... been, there have been agents that have fed stuff out since Joe has been in charge. Yeah, I mean, but... I, I'll be honest. When The CJ stuff, that I, I had the CJ trade about a month before it was finally put through. Uh -huh. And I had the framework for it about a month ahead of time. I'll tell you right now, it wasn't from Joe. Yeah. No, Joe Joe has never... I mean, Joe and I <laughs> talk somewhere. I mean, I, I know Joe quite well, but he's never given me any kind of... Like, oh, you know, I'm going to give you this scoop so that you can break it first and get yeah. a bunch of... Re like, I've never asked him for any of that. He's never given any of that to me. I don't expect that from they, they, him. The, but they a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of GMs have kind of figured out that if you feed certain people that yeah. type of information so that they can get their retweets or they can get their, you know, they were first They're on this trade yeah. or whatever, then they will get talked about in a certain way on some of these other platforms. The interesting thing is, during the old Shea era, the rumor mill stuff was significantly tighter yeah than it is now under joe i remembered like the larry nance trade in the summer of uh of 21 mm -hmm. that was out of nowhere yeah and i i got word about that probably three hours before it went through and that's that was typical like i would hear oh hey something's coming now but as far as the lead up, there was nothing. Everything I was had to get was from agents that were involved or tangentially or the uh, the other team. That's right. where I was would get intel from. The rumor mill stuff is louder under Cronin, but the final transaction they tamped down as quiet or quieter than, than the old share. Like that's that's the kind of the, the, the craziness when you talk about that and. And even it's, the rumor mill stuff, we're not, not none of us are getting that from Joe. No, that's what I mean. But the, I think the the rumor mill stuff was almost non-existent under Neil, and that was what was really interesting is that there's it, there's a little bit more noise uh, on the market with Joe. But I also think that's because he's less hesitant to make deals. I, I mean, to be fully candid, I have not met a front office executive in the league who doesn't like and or appreciate Joe. Or an agent, or yeah, and that's and that's, I think that's part of it is that because of that, there's more willing discussions, and in under the previous management, that was not the case. And I think also the I think I think also just 
You know, this is this is something you and I have talked about. This is something you've I think you've talked about this publicly, but something that Joe has said I don't know if he said this in like one of his interviews or he said this to us or whatever, mm. but there are some GMs where, you know, Danny Ainge is obviously one, Messiah is one, where mm -hmm. their goal when doing any trade is they want to be talked about like, yo, they got fleece. This, you know, yeah. they just got everything. They want to win a transaction. Joe approaches every trade from what he, you know, what he said his approach mm -hmm. is he wants both teams to walk away feeling like they got what they wanted to yeah. get out of it. The like goal, I think, like I think, met. like I think this, I think this Josh Hart trade at the deadline is a good example of that, where the Knicks got a guy who was going to help them win now, and he's been awesome so far in the yes. playoffs in that series against the Cavs, and the Blazers got a first round pick for a guy they weren't going to resign. Re so for what both teams were trying to do with that trade, it was a good trade, and now both teams extracted real value. And I think that doing that, like in the short term, like people are going to say, oh, you didn't get as much value for this as you could have. In the long term, it's going to make other teams more willing to do business with you. Whereas some of this stuff that you talk about that I've also you know heard about as far as like deals that they were really aggressive on at the deadline that didn't end up getting done. Like the, the you know, the Jeremy Grant stuff at the deadline last year is an example. If Joe did have... wanted another pick at that time, yeah, and because they weren't sure of where that Pelicans pick was going to land. Right. And they said, lo and behold... <laughs> And they said, and then they said, let's circle back. And then they did circle back. If Joe had kind of the reputation of, oh, this is a cutthroat GM who only wants to do a trade. If you, fle if he fleeces you, then maybe Detroit's not as willing to revisit that trade yeah. in the summer. And so you plant your seeds at the deadline or in the summer and the summertime you revisit the deadline, the deadline you revisit in the summer. And so you can keep these transaction windows open. You, you check in throughout the season as, as things change. And if you're, again, if like, if you're Danny Ainge, you, you know, you're getting in a cage with the beast. And like, I, I I've said at a certain point, people aren't going to want to deal with it because do you remember, do you, I mean, this is like going back into like Blazers history, but when Kevin Pritchard was here, the Pritch slap, the Pritch slap thing, eventually that started rubbing some people the wrong way that he mm -hmm. got a little bit too much credit for a couple of good trades that he made. And now people don't really want to deal with you anymore. And he's just changed since then. He has. Because. Because if you look at the deal that transpired last year between the Kings and the Pacers, it is a monumental deal that sends Sabonis to Sacramento and Halley to uh, Indiana. And that's a deal that, you know, it only happens and makes sense if both sides feel like they're getting the value that they need. Absolutely. Uh, how do we think the Chicago thing is going to shake out with the picks and the protections? I'm not worried about it at all. A at all. Whatever it takes. If, if Does it need to be the New York Knicks first-round pick? Maybe. Does it need to be five second-round picks? Maybe. The, the thing that I keep hearing from people is that, you know, the Bulls have all the leverage. They don't have any leverage. Are you kidding me? They, they, they still owe a pick uh, to the Orlando Magic. They're, they're bereft of assets. Don't they have they, don't they owe one for the DeRozan trade also? Or did that already? I think that is conveyed. I think. I think they're because I know this this still... year this year Orlando no, no, has. they got it done with the Pirtle one yeah Orlando so, this one Orlando has yes and this thing is like Chicago and here's the other part of this um, I did have Joe on one of the things is and I highlighted it in the interview is that the CBA hasn't been ratified yet right and so I could not ask him about 
the value of second round picks because we saw a spike in second round picks at the trade deadline like we've never seen almost to the point that like i was like i didn't even know there were that many second round picks to be traded it's like did you, are there a machine back there printing second round picks there was two different deals or three different they're deals just like nft like, yeah. there's like you a just, run on them and then they them. they have yeah <laughs> but with the way exceptions are now that you can cut off you or you have a second round exception so you don't have to cut off from the MLE anymore. The value of second round picks kind of goes, not kind of, it goes up. So does that capital, especially if you have five of them, actually, I believe the Blazers have access to nine. Uh, they have six. That they oh, I'm sorry. Yes. It's the Knicks pick that would have allowed access to nine. Had well, no, well, no, well, no. Cause I, cause well, no, because I wrote a story that I wrote uh, on Monday about this stuff. When I was going through it, I was like checking because originally I had I had them at nine also, but I was checking some stuff with it. And like one of them, I think I think the twenty twenty eight one, they can't trade because that's what goes to Chicago if they don't convey okay, the other that's, one. So it's that's like what it was. so it's they like, actually, it's a placeholder, and then they've traded like all their own, I think all their own second round picks. They I, they have six. The the point being they they if they wanted to do a trade tomorrow involving every available second round pick that they have to trade, they could trade six second round picks. So there you go. So, but there's value in them. Yeah. And then that's the thing is that it wasn't just Portland like, oh, we'll take five second round picks from not knowing. They had an inkling of what is going to come in the CBA. That's how this works. Yeah, because the owners and the, you know, the players union are discussing this stuff. And I don't know whether it's Jody or Bert that was at those negotiating table representing the Blazers on the mm-hmm. board of governors, but who, whichever one of them it was that was negotiating that stuff with the players union was telling Joe what was going on. And 100%. he was able to make plans. Like every owner is going to say, Hey, like they're going to pass know, that on to the during GM. The negotiation saying, Hey, you know, just for your purposes for future team building plans, like this is what the luxury tax is going to look like. This is what, uh, here's what your MLE is going to be. Yeah. Here's like, this, this, this potential, uh, uh, punishment that comes along on a second level of a luxury tax uh-huh. like there's, there's all of these different mechanisms and they're because they're building their books out because they have they, because they literally have books that they build out for years so that they can adjust as necessary which was joe's job under literally Neil, which the cba is, guy under Neil. which i think it's asia jones that does that now mm-hmm. that's kind of that's how the new org structure is because now that joe is the gm he doesn't have time to be the sole person i think so i i'm my understanding is that it's asia that does that stuff now but like but like but under neil that was joe's job yeah and that's the thing is and he, and he said he uh what i've asked him about you know kind of like his uh his duties changing mm-hmm. um was that he has spread it out yeah I, 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 there there are other people in there that help him with cba stuff to keep you know even though it's front of mind for him he still got to deal with family stuff and getting guys relocate like there's so many like uh, the things a GM does, everybody just think it's making trades and transactions and all those things. The day-to-day stuff, it is literally different every single day. It's a business meeting here. It's sponsors there. Uh, it's working with ambassadors. Like There's just, there's always so much that kind of goes into it. And so you have assistant GMs that help. Like Everybody's like, well, Mike Schmitz is the, is the draft guy. Yes, but... There's also Andre goes out and scouts and Sergi goes out and scouts and Asha goes out and scouts. Sheree, yeah, like everyone like, goes out and scouts. Um, and that that's actually something like kind of I I mean there have, there have been some cases where 
it was one scout that did like because when i was doing that story that i did on ibu baji yeah i was you know i was just i was i wasn't even like trying to interview joe about him i was just like i, I was just chatting with him before a game and i was like tell me something interesting about baji because i'm about to go interview him and he was like oh go talk to mike mike's the one that's the expert on baji because so he was some, a guy that Mike found. And so in some cases, it is like, this is one guy. I think, you know, I think Shaden Sharp might be another case where, like, Mike is basically one of the only people that had actually seen, that had actually seen him play in person. But for the most part, I think, you know, the idea that, oh, uh, well, you know, they hired Mike Schmitz. That must be the only reason they found this guy. Or that must be the only reason they this guy was on their radar. A lot of times, you know, that's kind of overblown and that's not you know it's not it's not it's not as simple as i think a lot of people make it out to me and by the way i'm still learning about how this stuff all works too like i i probably know a little bit more about it than most people listening to this just because i you know talk to these people and you know hear about this stuff you know firsthand but i i don't know i don't know even close to that, like all of how how all this stuff works i'm still there's still stuff i don't know about how these organizations work oh yeah no and i don't think that they're the Blazers are going to truly understand how they're going to work and their differentiations and who washes what hand and who helps who. I think part of that. If I had to characterize Joe, the one of the, or if I should say one of the things that the characteristics about Joe that stands out the most to me is his ability to bring that out. people. Is that the, the, the allowance of not having to be the, the loudest voice in the room. Right. Now, everything I've heard about, like from people who have worked with him, is that he listens a lot more than he talks in these in these uh, meetings, like front office meetings, whatever other meetings. He's, you know, he he, he you know he, he he's. I think so far he's. When you look at the people that he's brought in, like it's all people who have different expertises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they've grown their scouting department significantly since the changeover from the old Joe. Uh, their international scouting department, their diversity within their departments. Mm-hmm. It's not its not a secret that they've gone out and hired women, not just on the basketball side of things, but the business side of things. Not only women, but black women. Like mm-hmm. they, they, have, they have done things very purposefully mm-hmm. at numerous levels to affect changes that the organization needed. And, I, and again, I think a big part of that helped. And not a big part, a, a, the driving force of that is Joe. And I mean, not not to not to put too fine a timeline on it, but I think there's a good chance that in the very near future, there's going to be other stuff from the basketball ops side that's going to be out there too, as far as new investments in different things. Yes, a hundred percent. I definitely think there, there's there's ways that they're looking to to expand their footprint and be more involved in. Like that's again, I, I would imagine that on that front they're gonna do the exact same things. Yeah, I'm 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 interested to see how that all plays out. Uh what have been your impress like real real quick before we before we get out of here, what has your takeaway been from the playoffs so far? Like is there anything you've been watching in particular, anything you've been enjoying? Jimmy any- Jimmy Butler's a monster. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we, we, we were that was lucky fun yesterday. My God. Uh we were lucky enough to have Dame's fifty five point game. Uh, here and see it in person, albeit the one that they lost. That was in uh, Denver. But no, I'm saying like in Portland, we got to see like that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, happen. Like the, the team that we cover kind of a deal, like how right. insane that performance was when we talked about that as one of, if not the greatest individual performance in a game we'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. 
what Jimmy did last night might have surpassed that. Like it, that was they, ne- they needed every single point. He had 56 and he was a plus four. Like that's just that's honestly more like Dame's fifth, like the game, the, the last, the closeout game against Oklahoma City, where Dame hits mm. the shot. But he had fifty in that game, and they needed that last second shot. They, they they needed that. He had forty-seven. He needed those three, that three to, to send him home. And it's funny, and nobody ever mentions the fact that he has fifty in that game. It's the shot, right? Um, the Grizzlies going out sad has been wah. Uh, the it's so funny to me that the Grizzlies have become so hated that. Everybody's from so much fun to absolutely well, but, everybody hates But them. that pretty much all of like NBA Twitter is now rooting for the Lakers because Which is people hate the, because people hate the Grizzlies so much. And it's, it's just so it's weird. so it's so self-inflicted too because you want it to be like before all this, you know, the stuff with the guns and whatever, like Jaw seemed like a pretty likable dude. Jaron, I think, is. And it's just incredibly it, high high Q ratings. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like they were like a year ago when they had that fun playoff series against mm-hmm. Minnesota. Everybody was like, "Oh, this is the next. They're they're the new Durant, Westbrook, Harden, Oklahoma City. Yeah. They're like the and now now it's like that. This kind of goes back to the stuff that we were talking about before about like you need to have adults in the room, and they're kind yeah. of learning that the hard way. What's interesting is the um, lack of you know veterans, so to speak, in Sacramento with how good that they have been. Uh, I think yeah, the, but they've got Harrison Barnes. And like again, got, like, like but it's not it's like, not like they're loaded with that. Well, the, right, but like they, the they've got dudes side. though, like. Like sure, Har- Harrison yeah. Barnes, Harrison Barnes plays more than any veteran player on the Grizzlies does. Sure, but uh, and Herder's got some playoff experience, but like Herder, the, like Malik, the Monk. collect the collective experience of the of the Kings, I believe, is a hundred and seven playoff games. Yeah, the Warriors have four different players with more playoff experience than the entirety of the Kings. Right, Steph, Clay, Dre, and Iggy, like. And then they've got guys up and down the roster with, with various amounts like of Like White Dante was on those, like, a couple of, like, oh, Bucks, Bucks teams. teams. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. They're, they're, there's real experience there. For the Kings to come out and play the way that they have, man, unbelievable. And it they, sounds they, like they, Fox is going to play tomorrow. He, he said unequivocally he's going to go. Uh, he said if the game was today, he'd play. Um, the other the other thing is not just Jimmy Butler shooting, you know, the lights out. I think he's shooting 63% in the series. It's the Heat shooting over 50% on contested threes. And that's with Tyler Hero, who's one of their best shooters, being out, out. for the series and breaking his hand. And it's not like the Bucks are playing bad defense. The, the Heat are getting 11 open threes a game. That is nothing. Nothing. The Kings, the Kings are getting over 22 double. Double the open threes that the Heat are getting against the Warriors. It's the inverse problem. The Kings can't hit threes, though. The Heat can't miss. And it, it's, it's kind of a telling point of two stories in the sense that the Kings should probably be up 3 1 on the Warriors, and the Bucks should probably be up 3 1 on the Heat. But because of poor shooting for the Kings and insane shooting for the Heat, both series are in a place that you probably didn't expect it to be based on the flow of each game. Here's a take I have, and I've been, I, I think I've mentioned this on Twitter. I think the NBA needs to go back to best of five for the first round. It'd make it spicy. It would make it spicy. I think the play-in plus best of seven is too much for these series that we just are kind of over at some point. Because, like, really, outside of, like, Kings Warriors has been awesome. Lakers Grizzlies has been awesome. Uh, Clippers Suns would look like it was going to be really good, and then Kawhi and then got Kawhi, hurt, and yeah. now that one's basically a wrap. But like, I'm kind of like 
Denver, Brooklyn, or uh, uh, Denver, uh, Minnesota. Denver, Minnesota, Philly. That could have been that could have been a sweep. We didn't need that. We didn't. They're, need they're that. both basketball snuff films. Like it was just like yeah, we, we didn't. Nobody need, needs this. We didn't need that. Like I think I'm like I'd be okay if the if the Knicks just advanced now. We don't need Celtics Hawks was just, Celtics Hawks. That's just like I was uh, like I'm just like after after this past weekend I was just like you know what I'm good with Kings Warriors playing a couple more games but like I'm kind of good on the rest of these. Yeah, I I think I. I can be talked into it. The NBA can't because they're sure no, of course sure not, hell not giving up playoff games. So much Regular more money. season games, maybe. Playoff games, absolutely not. If How? anything, they would add another round to this if they could. Where do you land on the in-season tournament? I, I'm pro. I'm pro in-season tournament. Um, the play-in, it was like, oh, nobody's going to care about this. It's going to be, you know, uh, nothing, nothing's going to be really impactful. You're going to have two play-in teams win here in the first round. You're going to have them go from uh, not winning a playoff series or, or excuse me, uh, uh, number 10 uh, seeds, not winning a game to making it in the playoffs to both of them winning. That's insane. Yeah. But also both of the, but play-in, it's, it's, both it's, of the play-in teams that are winning are seven seeds though. I know Miami is technically an eight seed because they lost the first game, but they had the seventh best record in the way in the East. But again, I'm saying like the it's useful. Right. And it's, the drama is there. No, I it agree. Is. It's been good. And so it was like, well, what's the midseason tournament going to be? What's the motivation going to be? Basketball. That's the motivation. Basketball. What if you got like four-fifths, three-quarters, the the playoff intensity, but you're ratcheting up beyond regular season, Not maybe not full playoff intensity, but you got that in December. You're telling me you don't want that? Is it going to be there in the first year? Hell if I know. Is it going to be there in year two? Maybe. Year 15? Who knows? Like, I, I struggle to, to see how it's a problem or why people would be against the idea of bringing more competitive basketball to basketball. It's more basketball that you care about. Is it different from the regular season? Yes. Okay. Go on. That's, that's I see. 100% I, where I, land. I I see it on paper. My my thing with it is like they're like, how much are players going to care about it? How much they, are players going to get up? How much are players going to get up and say, "Wow, we really need to win the midseason tournament"? If if the motivation's a million dollar a piece for a winners, it's five hundred k. But I'm saying like, let's say it's five hundred now. What if it goes to a milli? Which is a lot for some of the younger teams and younger players, but like LeBron I mean, doesn't need that money. Like LeBron is. I'm telling you right now, Damian Lillard wants that money. Yeah, I mean, it, like, I think there are going to be some guys that care about it more than others. Certainly, certainly but I think there's got, here. Here's the gross thing that people don't want to hear: there's people who care about the playoffs more than others. And when I'm not talking about people who watch it, I'm talking about players. Oh, there is certainly there have been there have been there's a strong difference between Jimmy Butler and maybe some teammates that he played with in Minnesota previously. Mm, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Just saying. No, I there's a story that I I heard once about uh, when when Jimmy was in Minnesota, uh, he and Taj gave uh, somebody one of one of these folks you're maybe talking about. Uh, a blank DVD and was like, Hey, this is some, this is our game film. Like we want you to watch this and make sure, you know, just, and then, and then the next Russell, and then the next day, uh, 
they asked that player, uh, hey, you know, what do you, what do you think about, uh, you know, about what you watched? He's like, oh, it was great. I really learned a lot from it when they gave him a blank DVD. They did the same thing to Jamarcus Russell with the, with the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. The coaching staff gave him a blank DVD and said, go study this. And they t- tested him the next day. And and he was like, yeah, I watched it. It was great. Huh? Yeah. Super cool. So <laughs> um, as a Raiders fan, it still was like, ah, causes me to, to have an eye switch. But like, that's the thing. Like you're going to get competitive dudes caring. You throw some money on top of it. And then like a, a million, even to like the big name guys, a million still a million. Like that's real money. And I think if you get the competition and the and the money involved, yeah, I, I think guys will at least care this much more than a regular season game. And if they care that much more once, what about the next time and the time after that? I, th- I think it's something you just have to build. Is it going to be the greatest thing day one? Probably not. But in five, 10 years, could it turn into something? Absolutely. And then maybe we're in a position where if it becomes big enough, popular enough, important enough, you can actually look at reducing the regular season games and make that midseason tournament matter more. Yeah, I mean, it could it could be. I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up, though, Danny. Thanks a lot again for doing this. You guys all know it. It's a vibe session here. It's a vibe session. You guys all know what it is. Jack <laughs> Ramsey's Danny and Dusty on 1080. Go get on it. Oh, appreciate you, man. Um, yeah. I will say this. We uh, we locked in a spot for the uh, for the draft lottery show. So uh, Sprague and I will be live on location. I'm gonna, uh, Dusty and I will do our radio show. Um, I think we're going to make the announcement on Monday. Um, we're going to do a, uh, a live show for the lottery. So everybody uh, come on down and we'll either celebrate or commiserate together. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will be in Chicago. Yes. You hopefully sneaking into the room. I'm not even, not even sneaking. There actually are journalists that they invite in. You you just need to rig yeah. the lottery, the, the, the journalism lottery. So you can be, get the invite. I have made it known to who I need to make it known to that I would be interested in getting one of the invites. So we'll there you go. we'll see what happens. But either way, I will be in Chicago that whole week. I'll be at the minimum. I will be at the uh, you know I'll be in the audience when they the read unveiling. Out on TV. And you'll be and, there for the combine and the combine. And so like I would imagine the Blazers are going to have like their whole front office contingent so. out there. So I'll I'll be there for that. Uh, thanks again for doing this, man. Hey, anytime, brother.